BBCC episode 18, my realization of the day. Did The Nightmare Before Christmas inspire TLC's smash hit single, Waterfalls? Because if you think about it, the lesson of the movie was basically that Jack shouldn't go chasing waterfalls. You know, that he should stick to the creepy rivers and spooky lakes that he's used to. I'll have more on that later in the episode. Welcome to the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. We're doing horror musicals once again. It is your boy here, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. Bloody Blunts, a.k.a. Jesus, a.k.a. Black Skellington, the Pumpkin King. And this is Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is a podcast where we talk horror movies. Um, I'm your resident stoner here. I'm very blazed up today because I got some really strong shit I'm smoking on. It's like fucking 34% or some shit. Like... My girl's trying to fuck me up. But um, but yeah, I analyze movies through a stoner's lens, and we break things down by subgenres. So every month we pick a different theme, and we are covering movies in there, and then we're going to go, you know, we go even further than that. We grind it up even finer, and we go into even smaller subgenres, and that's basically the way that we do things around here. It has been a minute since I've done a solo episode. It's been two weeks since I've recorded anything because I've been, you know, recording things in advance. I've had three guests on in a row, like three guest episodes in a row. So that means I haven't recorded a solo episode in over a month. It's been a minute. So what have I been up to? Um, well, LA is on fire as per usual. Like we had a heat wave and then we also had more fires. So, I mean, it's, you know, literally on fire, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I've been, I was like kind of just recording things at weird times because I've also been kind of busy. Um, I have not been working still. Um, like, I mean, I don't think during all this COVID stuff, I'm going to return to the service industry anytime soon. Um, but my bar is still closed regardless. And I mean, I guess I could go work at another restaurant, but yeah, I don't really feel like it right now because like I've been like just kind of I've gotten a taste of what being a full time creator is like, you know, where I'm literally all I've been doing is I work on stuff for the podcast. I work on stuff for uh, the YouTube channel, but then I also do stuff for a media production company, Beta Wave. It is ran by one of my good friends and um, it started off as just a little music studio, but now we do. Um, we do live performances for people. We host live streams. Um, we do music videos. We do promo stuff. Like, and we have been working on all sorts of really fun things. Um, I got to direct, well, co-direct my first music video with um with this production company, 
and so that will be coming out this week as well so you're gonna be seeing me blast that around a lot as well so I'm very excited because like I mean I've done like you know little shorts and stuff by myself and I've worked on a couple music videos but this is I actually got to I took someone's treatment and I wrote it out and I scripted it and then we shot and edited it together and um, it's, it's pretty damn fun and it very much fits my aesthetic. So, but this is just like the first episode in a while that will be actually like, as I'm recording, it will be up tomorrow. So this is in real time. Like it's been a minute since you guys have been caught up in real time. So that's really fun. Um, a horror musicals month. Why did I really want to do this? Um, I mean, I kind of touched on it and in the intro of the last episode, but um, I'm a very musically driven person. It like, I'm somebody that like, I have to have like, I have to have like, you know, not just background. I mean, I guess I have to have just like stimulation at some, at all times. Like I'm either constantly listening to music, watching something on YouTube, watching a movie. That's basically what I'm always doing. And I, I mean, I just have to, like, even if it is just having music on in the background while I'm like doing like just like cooking or something or 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 podcasts as well and and like (laughs) like I mean I guess I I've kind of reined it in a little bit but I think maybe that's a reason I do have a little bit more anxiety is because like I mean like literally I I, because I can't do it as much anymore because like I have like roommates that I'm not as close with and then also whenever, uh, I mean, I guess whenever I'm here with Brit, I can like do my thing, but like, I literally, I wake up, music goes on and then like, so say I have it on the stereo, but then I'm going to go take a shower. I take a Bluetooth speaker into the bathroom, put the music on in there. You know, if I'm going outside to play with Harley, now I'm headphones are in like, and that that's just like a continuous cycle. And I don't know if that's just like, um, you know, that uh, something that I've developed over time that helps me cope with the anxiety, you know, I don't know, but music is just like, uh, it, it, it drives me. Like I, I need it. Like if I'm just like kind of in silence, I kind of go a little bit crazy. Um, cause then I'm just like, then I'm like too zoned into like my thoughts and shit. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but music is very important to me. And music, I mean, I I always mention the scores of movies whenever I'm talking about them. Because I think, like, a musical score is, like, the fucking backbone of a movie. It's very important. And I didn't come up in a theater background. Like, I didn't do theater myself, personally, like, in high school or college or anything. I didn't do theater. I didn't really do um, musicals. I did choir, but, and, and I got to do like a madrigal dinner, like type thing. That's like the only like theater esque thing I ever did. However, I've always loved musicals. I mean, you know, I've just grown up listening to the soundtracks. I love musicals that get turned into movies. I've never gotten to really see too many like big production musicals in person, unfortunately, but I do get to experience them through film. Like that's all my knowledge and experiences of musicals come from a mo- the movie version more than you're going to hear from the stage version. So, except for like last week talking about Sweeney Todd, I did get to see a good production stage version of that. 
But so for this month, we're talking horror musicals and not all of them are stage adaptations to film as you'll be seeing like the two that we're talking about today and and definitely for the ones I'm talking the one that I'm talking next week as well definitely isn't a stage um, adaptation put to film but then we'll talk some more um, later on in the month September has five weeks in it or it has five Tuesdays in it so I had I was like damn I have a lot of time to play with so that's why I wanted to do this episode is um, we're coming back with two more Tim Burton movies because I'm a Tim Burton cuck. Like, that's my dude. Uh, he definitely is a director that impacted my childhood more than any other director has. And, um, and I mean, the two movies that we're talking today, so we're talking The Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride. So... You know, we got the horror musical aspects, but then we're also talking some animated films, specifically stop motion animation, which I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite things in the world. There will be a uh, very long Coraline episode in the future. I don't know when, but it will be a very uh, in-depth episode for that one. And both these movies are movies that people forget how musical they are, like people don't instantly think of these as horror musicals, at least from my impression of what people think about these movies, but they are both musicals. I mean, both of them feature multiple, they feature, like, because I say if, if at least half the movie, like, or, yeah, like, if at least half the movie is fucking music, you know, musical numbers, then I think it counts. These are both very short movies, and songs take up quite a bit. But not only do they feature songs, they feature songs that are advancing the plot and, like, telling the story. So, it's not that they are even just have, like, bullshit, like, you know, musical scenes in. It's not like a typical Disney movie, which The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Disney movie, in case you guys forgot. It is streaming on Disney Plus if you want the proof. But um, people have never believed me whenever I said it's a Disney movie. People are like, what's your favorite Disney movie? I'm like, Nightmare Before Christmas. They're like, that doesn't count. I'm like, what do you mean? It is a Disney movie. We'll get more into that here in a little bit. But um, but yeah, I've always been very fascinated with stop motion animation. It's a very painstaking process that I respect the hell out of. Because I do know like kind of how the inner workings of it work a little bit. I did get to do some really fun stop motion animation on a music video. If you guys want to go on YouTube, you can check out the music video for Unglued by Big Data. And it has some really fun stop motion animation. Like we were going for this like Sledgehammer-esque look. If you haven't seen the video for Sledgehammer, look that up as well. But we got to do some cool stop motion animation. I worked with an animator who does work for Hulu. And he, like, really got to, like, break it down, like, how it really works, which is literally you're just taking pictures over and over again. But just, like, how time-consuming and painstaking it can be, and it's so detail-oriented, it was super fun to work on. So definitely check out the video for Unglued, which I will say is also a teaser for a guest that we're going to have at the end of the month. So go ahead and figure that one out. But now, let's go ahead and get to the...
The Nightmare Before Christmas, released in 1993, directed by Henry Selleck. Yes, I know, this isn't an actual Tim Burton movie, but we'll get into that here in a minute. So first off, before we get into the Tim Burton controversies, because people always like to be like, mm. before we get into that, let's go ahead and put Nightmare Before Christmas through the genre grinder. Like I said, we have, it's a horror musical, because it is. There's lots of music, um, like a lot more than I think that you remember, because I mean, they literally do just pace out so much because this movie is also super duper short. So lots of music. Um, you have, so is it a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? It's both. We'll get to that also here in a few minutes, but it's both. So I'll just say holiday horror. It fits into holiday horror. There's definitely elements of gothic horror. There always will be in a Tim Burton. In <laughs> You see, I'm even, I had to just catch myself in a Tim Burton movie. But this, I mean, it is and isn't a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> so, and, um... What other subgenres would there be? I guess that's really about it, aside from it being animated horror as well. Kids horror. Kid-friendly horror. Because, like, when you think of an anime movie, I mean, I guess you typically don't consider it a horror movie. Because you don't think of... When when you hear horror, it just has the connotation of being, you know, violent, graphic, bloody, scary, whatever. But that it doesn't always have to be that way. Because there is, you know, horror aim specifically at kids they are kids movies and maybe they aren't scary per se but they definitely have horror inspirations and they are aimed at kids that are into these kind of things and that's how nightmare before christmas got me as a kid like i mean for the longest time i would refer to this as my favorite movie and i mean maybe i feel that way to an extent like maybe as a looking at nostalgically because I mean this movie is like I mean this is my fucking warm blanket you know and like watching it yesterday it was like the I think it was the first time I've watched it in like maybe a year and a half I think it's been a little while since I'd seen it because whenever I rewatched yesterday it was one of those watches where I like instantly slipped back into I was in the best mood while I was watching it because it just like it brought me back to that place I had that warm fuzzy feeling I was just by myself uh, singing along while I'm taking notes and working on other things, you know, and it was just like, you know, having a moment for myself, which was which was nice. And and I do just always get that feeling, you know, and and but I hadn't felt that feeling in a minute. So that was really nice that like because I mean, this movie just is that warm blanket for me. I have a tattoo of it on my arm. Like I said, I used to refer to this as my favorite movie. Do I still think that? I think I do have favorites now that are, you know, technically better films, quote unquote, like, but like, like I said, like more from like a technical standpoint or there's more to them because this movie, it's very short. It's very simple. It, you know what it is, you know, exactly. I mean, it's hardly even a film. It was intended to be a TV special, and that's what it definitely feels like. I mean, this movie is 77 minutes, including credits. It's not very long. So it's like, you know, I I do feel like, you know, me calling it my favorite movie, like, I don't know, I want to say that discounts me as a, as a film guy, you know, someone knowing for having taste 
And then I can't just be going around saying, oh yeah, my favorite movie is Nightmare Before Christmas. I love it so much. <laughs> why did, I don't ever talk like that. I don't know why that was my imitation of myself. But anyways, um, I do still just absolutely love this movie. It was so nice slipping back into it. So now, let's go ahead and go back to who did and did not make this movie. So, this movie is, you know, it's one of those movies that Tim Burton is one of those guys who names, you know, the proper titles of his movies are Tim Burton's blank. So this movie is titled Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. But he did that with this one. I mean, it's interesting because it's exactly what people do now. And I kind of hate it. (laughs) I've actually have made multiple posts about like, you know, how people were calling, um, you know, everybody was saying Jordan Peele's Candyman movie when it was Nia DaCosta that, um, when it was Nia DaCosta that directed it. And people do that with, I mean, J.J. Abrams movies, they'll put it at the fucking top. Um, Steven Spielberg has done it for other movies that like weren't his movies. Um, James Cameron, you know, people that, you know, and it's these producer tags is what it is. Cause with Nightmare Before Christmas, um, Tim Burton did not direct it. It was directed by Henry Selleck. He did not do the screenplay. The screenplay was done by Carolyn Thompson, uh, which, I mean, which even she didn't even, she, she did a screenplay, but then, um, you know, off of an adaptation that Michael McDowell started. So, because they were starting it because like I said, Tim Burton wanted to make like a TV special or like, or he wanted to make a TV special that could also be turned into a children's book. So he wrote out the story as like through storyboards and character designs and it wasn't like a formal book or anything. I think he also wrote a poem um, titled The Nightmare Before Christmas. And so he wrote that and then he came up with most of the character designs for the people in Halloween Town. With um, He came up with the design for Jack. He came up with all these things. So he did dream up the story. He dreamt up the world. He dreamt all that up and he made that, but then... Um, he had to shelve the idea for a little while because this was back in the eighties and this was when Tim Burton was working for Disney and then he got fired from Disney and he just like kind of shelved this idea and then he went on to go make, you know, movies like Beetlejuice and, um, you know, Edward Scissorhands and a few others before he came back around. He, he just had been thinking about this idea for 10 years And so he wanted to make the movie and Disney wanted Tim Burton to make a animated movie for them. They saw that he was making money in the live action movie department for Warner Brothers. So they said, hey, we want to get in on that action. And they wanted a animated movie from him. But however, he was tied up with Batman Returns. So he wasn't able to uh direct or really work on this movie much but he had already had all this stuff written and dreamt up and created so basically he took that gave it to michael mcdowell and said adapt this he adapted it um like i guess the idea and then him and carolyn thompson did the screenplay and then henry selick who 
uh, specialized with stop motion animation came on to direct it. And he himself even said that he basically was tasked with taking all of Tim's materials and ideas and making a movie that came off and felt like a Tim Burton movie. So Henry Selleck, even himself, like, you know, admits that, like, though this was directed by him, he wasn't doing it, going out to do it in his style. He said, like, I mean, my style personally, I do take, you know, inspiration from what Tim Burton does, but it wasn't me, it wasn't him emulating his style, it was him trying to emulate Tim Burton's style into this movie. So that's why it's called Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. It was not directed by him or written by him, but it was created by him. And, I mean, and Henry Selleck even said that, you know, once they actually started production, Tim Burton maybe came up about five times over a two-year period, um, you know, for not that long even, and he really didn't have much to do with it. He was busy working on Batman Returns um, at the time, uh, Tim didn't have as high of respect for stop motion, and he said he just couldn't be bothered with the process of it. But then he, obviously, the movie turned out so well, and he eventually gained an appreciation for stop motion animation, which would lead him to making Corpse Bride later and Frankenweenie after that. But we'll get to Corpse Bride here in a second. Little note before we continue I apologize for how nasally I sound. Because the fires have everything very dusty and the air quality is terrible right now. So sorry I'm very nasally. Also very sorry if you can hear the fans in the background because it is very hot right now in LA. Not as hot today as it was yesterday, thank goodness. But um, but yeah, so sorry if you hear those things. It is what it is. Let's go ahead and get back to Nightmare Before Christmas. So, we already talked about who it starring or who... We already talked about who it was directed by, who it was written by. Anyways, starring Chris Sarandon, who did the speaking voice for Jack, who is known for his role in Fright Night. And then Danny Elfman provided the singing voice for Jack. This also stars Catherine O'Hara as Sally, Ken Page, who is an STL native, Midwest Connection, what's up? And also, Glenn Shaddock says the mayor, rest in peace, he passed away about 10 years ago, but him and Catherine O'Hara both pulled over from Beetlejuice. So, of course, you know, Tim Burton likes to keep things in the family, mixes people in, and has those, you know, connections there. But a lot of people, apparently, on Twitter did not know that Catherine O'Hara voiced Sally. So, now you know, I guess. I've always known that, but now you guys know. I'm happy for you. So, as I mentioned, this is a stop-motion animation movie. Stop-motion's not easy. It's a hard, time-consuming, painstaking thing. So, let me give you some numbers here. This took a little over two years to film in a studio in San Francisco with 120 different workers, over 20 different unique and individual sound stages, with 109 1,440 frames of photography taken. Holy shit. Like, that is ridiculous. Shout out to the editor, Stan Webb, for fucking pulling this shit together. If anyone's the real filmmaker here, it's that motherfucker with cinematography done by Pete Kozicic. So, shout out to those two who really, I mean, like, that is 
insane to do that many frames and then edit them together into motion and like for how smooth it looks I mean it's absolutely fantastic for 1993 and it's interesting because if you watch it now the digital remaster it's cool you know like the colors are vibrant and interesting which does kind of change the tone of the film a little bit like because it does a similar technique that we'll talk about in Corpse Ride but um but I noticed it a little bit more and it's cool but if you watch the digital remaster it's kind of easier to tell that they are like little you know claymation puppets and you can you can tell like and you can tell that the sets are sets instead of it feeling like a world when you watch it like on the VHS or even DVD with standard definition you it kind of blends that in a little bit more it adds a little bit more texture and that texture kind of unifies everything versus when you watch it with the digital remaster and you take that away you can see and and and, and that might be a strength for some people like you know like ooh it like looks tactile and it looks real but it looks too real because it looks like it's on a set which it is so um it is what it is um i kind of was like kind of bummed out whenever i realized that a little bit just cuz i do like that aesthetic but you know it is what it is so i mentioned it on the last episode i don't recap movies here and especially not for this one if you somehow have not seen the nightmare before christmas or haven't walked into a Spencer's or Hot Topic, I don't know what you're doing with your life, okay? But, just to quickly recap, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, you have Jack Skellington, he is, um, he is the Santa Claus of Halloween, he's not the king, because, I mean, they have like a mayor, but he's called the Pumpkin King, so I mean, I guess he is a king, and then the mayor is the elected official that runs it, or is Jack like the president? I don't know. What I do know is everyone loves Jack. I mean, they are fucking hype for Jack. Like, if I was the king of a town, or I was, like, a holiday symbol, like, I mean, I want my fucking song to slap this hard. It is so good. I mean, like, and but there's this moment, like I described in the previous episode, that when you're watching a musical, there's this fucking, like, euphoric moment that hits whenever you're fucking... When, you, when you're listening to the song, you know, and it just hits a fucking moment that you're just like, ooh, yeah, and then you're fucking fist pumping and you're singing along to it. I mean, this movie starts off with fire out the gate. I'll talk about my favorite songs when we get to uh, a little bit later, but I mean, this fucking moment right here, because I described it in last episode, it's fucking, you know, because this is Halloween. Jack doesn't sing in this is Halloween. The very first song of the movie is all the minor characters within Halloween Town. And Jack doesn't sing a fucking note in this song because they're all singing about him and they're hyping him up and you're like, oh man, they're hyping Halloween Town up and you're like, who's this Jack guy they're talking about? And then they fucking are like, you guys ready for this motherfucker? And they hit this shit right here. This town we call home. Everyone hail to the pumpkin song. 
I mean, the hype is so fucking real. Oh, man, I love it so much. Like, did you, like, do you guys hear in the fucking harmonies, like, when they're fucking hitting the high song, the high part, but then there's the fucking whoever is singing the low end, the fucking la 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 Halloween, Halloween. Ah, fuck. It's so good. I love this movie so much, and, like, I mean, just, like, like I said, it just, like, you, you jump right into it, and this is Halloween. It's just, like, it's a perfect tone setter. But anyways, what's this movie about again? Oh yeah, it's about Jack Skellington. He's bored. Halloween went off without a hitch like it usually does. He killed it as usual. Everybody was scared. Everybody had a good time. And now they gotta wait until next Halloween. But he's bored. He's too good at what he does. He's too fucking dope, you know? And he's like, I need more. I need more of a challenge. So he sets out, he accidentally stumbles upon Christmas Town. He says, hey, this looks like fun. I'm going to go ahead and do this. So he uh, kidnaps Santa Claus, and then he puts on a spooky Christmas for the world, and people don't like that. And Jack gets shot down, and then he realizes, oh, I should have just stuck to my shit because it's okay, and that's what makes me me. So that's basically what the movie is about if you haven't seen it. But, so, let's talk about Jack here for a minute of this movie, okay? Is Jack problematic? Hmm, that has been brought up. I've seen it on the tumblers or on some very hot takes on Twitter, you know? So, I mean, think about it. This whole movie, he's just, he's so into himself, like, he's so selfish, like, because that's all it is. Like, he's bored, poor, sad him, and then it's like, you know, he's got a good thing around him. He's surrounded by people that love him. Sally is in love with him, and he doesn't even realize that she exists half the time. Like, I noticed this is a, the start of a trend in Tim Burton movies of him creating uh, male characters that have a woman that's in love with them, that they won't give the time of day. We talked a lot about that in Sweeney Todd, but I think it starts here, because, like, before this, he made Beetlejuice, and, like, fucking, they're a great couple. Like, that's one of the best couples he's ever put to screen. And then, just, like, here, and then fucking, Corpse Ride's kind of complicated, but, I mean, it's just, like, a recurring thing that I've realized pop up in his films here and there is just like just not giving Sally the time of day like what the fuck Jack like he's got it all he's got his life his afterlife is made but that's not enough and so he like I said he does kidnap Santa Claus or he has Santa Claus kidnapped and then left to a alleged sexual predator is Oogie Boogie a fucking, did, did Oogie Boogie molest Santa Claus? I'm gonna ruin your childhood. <laughs> but for real, though, like, I mean, yeah, he had a gambling problem, but then, like, we see later he gets distracted by Sally's leg, and then, like, he has a foot thing. Like, he takes her shoe off and tickles her foot. That was fucking weird. But when he's singing to Santa Claus, when Oogie Boogie's singing a song, and Santa Claus says, what are you gonna do? And Oogie Boogie responds with, I'm gonna do the best that I can. What the fuck does that mean? Did Oogie Boogie touch Santa Claus's candy cane? 
<laughs> Gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, Jack's funny, though. Like, he fucking just, like, he's going so crazy thinking about Christmas. They hermits up in his fucking house doing experiments. And, like, that that's something I've always wanted, too. Like, Jack's not a scientist himself. He goes to the scientist and asks for equipment and shit to do experiments, but he's not a scientist. Fucking, uh, Dr. Dr. Finkelstein, that's his name, right? Yeah, Dr. Finkelstein, he's like, yeah, here you go, Jack, take whatever you want, go ahead, do some fucking weird experiments. Um, I don't know, Jack is a funny guy. And then, so he convinces the whole town, like, how dope Christmas is, everybody's like, yeah, we're about that Christmas life too, fuck it, let's go ahead and do Christmas for ourselves this year. And... So they go ahead and do all that right, and fucking Jack turns himself into Santa Claus, literally assumes his identity, not only has him kidnapped, steals his identity, and then says, yeah, this year we're taking over your shit. Doesn't ask her anything, you know? They just say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do it, because we want to. And then he does, and they he makes, you know, Christmas spooky, which is a really fun scene. I always loved that as a kid. Um, where you, like, see him, like, leaving all these presents and, like, just, like, causing mass chaos and thinking that he's bringing happiness because that's what makes him happy, you know? And then me realizing that, watching that scene, that's when I realized the point of this movie. I mean, because I've been back and forth on it, you know, my whole life. Like, is this Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? I mean, on a, I mean, it's both, and I hate that answer, but I think now it skews, it skews Christmas, but it's also, like, kind of anti-Christmas as well. So, like I said, it's both, because it's, like, basically trying to be, like, you know, Christmas, Christmas isn't about toys and stuff, it's about spreading happiness, but you can't be selfish about it, though, like... What makes you happy might not make other people happy. How you celebrate Christmas might not be how other people celebrate Christmas. So it's like also like trying to go against like the stigma of like the the typical Christmas by being like, look, this is Halloween people's version of Christmas. And that might make some people happy, Um, but it didn't make the people in this movie happy. So it's like, I don't know, it's challenging the idea that there's more than one way to celebrate Christmas, that you can't force your Christmas traditions on others, but to make Christmas your own. But it's telling you not to do that at the same time, because it says, hey, if you try to make Christmas your own, you're going to get blown up, because that's what happens to Jack, he just gets blown up. So... I don't know. It's like, you know, did he have malicious intent with what he was doing? Did he deserve that? And then that's the only, but, but then it's like, that's the only thing that like kind of changes his mind. Like he just like would have caused the world to burn down if they didn't stop him, you know? So did he actually learn anything? He just like kind of sang a song to himself after he got shot down. And then that's when he realized like, oh, well, you know what? I do have it made. I don't need to steal this other holiday. I got my own shit. I tried this Christmas shit. It didn't work out. It's all good. But now I'm going to go back to Halloween Town. I'm going to uh, 
get I'm gonna save the guy that I put in danger. I'm gonna save him and then he'll fix everything and it's all good. And and Santa Claus basically is just like, Yeah, like fuck you, man. I'm gonna go fix this. Why'd you do that? And then he makes it snow so that way they get their own version of Christmas in Halloween town to themselves. So did Jack really learn anything? Not really. What is the lesson of this film a little too ambiguous for children? Yes, it is. Is this movie still amazing? You bet your sweet ass it is. I mean, talk about Sally for a minute. She's goals. I mean, she gets it that, like, fucking Jack is just, he's really into his craft, and he's having this fucking midlife crisis or some shit. And she's just like, you know what, I get it, Jack. Like, no one else gets you, but I I fucking get you. And I'm going to bring you baskets of goodies and shit. Like, you know, she's just got his back. And then whenever she realizes that it's going to be bad, she tries to stop him before he can, you know, do the Christmas thing. But then she says, you know what, Jack's got to learn for himself. So he's going to learn for himself. I'm going to go try to save Sandy Claus. And, you know, she gets kidnapped as well, which sucks, just so that way Jack has something heroic to do at the end of the movie, even though he didn't learn his lesson. Damn, Jack is problematic. Sally deserved better, but she's fantastic. Uh, Voiced by Catherine O'Hara. She's very great. The singing is fantastic. So funny how people didn't realize that that was Catherine O'Hara, but it's like, that's that voice right there. Um, like I said, this movie, there's not a whole lot to talk about (laughs) besides the whole Halloween versus Christmas debate. And you could say it's a Halloween movie just because it's about, you know, the spirit of Halloween learning the vow, the, the meaning of Christmas. You know, you could say that Halloween is the protagonist of the movie. So therefore it is a Halloween movie. Uh, I don't know. Just roll with me. I think that makes sense. And but there's not a lot to talk about. It's a very short movie. Like I said, it was made to feel like it was made to be a TV special, and definitely feels like it. Except that you know it was released in theaters. And of course, we all know about the cult following that has developed today. Literally, it is. I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas is one of the biggest like staples of pop culture. Like, I mean, it's been fucking 27 years and it's still going strong it's still making money you know and it is just that seminal movie that is great that you can watch at Halloween that you can watch at Christmas and I mean I guess I always grew up with it being a Christmas movie to me because this was the movie that I always wanted to watch on like Christmas Eve I always wanted to watch this movie this was like it because it was like the one time of year that I could like get everybody to watch it with me and because I've never been a big fan of Christmas. I don't know what it is. Like, I, it, it, you know, people's happiness sometimes feels a little bit synthetic around Christmas. Or people misunderstanding the idea of Christmas. And then I'm also not religious. So I don't have that connection either. So, I mean, Christmas is just kind of whatever to me. It always kind of has been. But then this was that comfort to me. This was my Christmas movie. It was fucking weird. It was creepy. It was dark. And it was my fucking Christmas movie, you know? And so I guess I did always understand the point of this movie. 
But now that I'm an adult, I understand it more. Yeah, that's what this podcast is all about. It's fucking, because I'm as fucking high as jellied brains. <laughs> and that scene cracks me up whenever they're talking about the fog and shit. This movie is also, it's just, it's so charming, you know, and the cool thing with this movie is the world that it did build out, like, you know, it is, you can tell, like, Tim Burton just had so much in his brain, and coming up with all these different, you know, settings, and, I mean, the background characters, I mean, who are your favorite background characters in in this movie. My favorite side characters are the clown with the tearaway face, because that's so specific. Like, why is that his thing? And why is that scary? <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of funny. And he has, and his voice changes when he tears the face off because he doesn't have a mouth anymore. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, super funny. So I love clown with the tearaway face. Uh, there's the gay hat maker. Shout out to him who takes a bat and turns it into a delightful hat. And has a very, just like, very gay voice. I love it. Like, he's he's an icon. Fucking slaying it with the creepy hat game. Nobody else was in the creepy hat game. Fucking slay it, girl. Fucking kill that shit. There's also the wolf man who's like very mild-mannered. Like, his shirt is still buttoned up and it's not tearing, but it's like pulling the buttons like to as tight as it can be. So he's like trying so hard to have a normal shirt on because he's like a mild-mannered wolf man <laughs> like I always thought that was funny even though he doesn't wear pants though either but he's like I love how the shirt is like just so close to ripping but it's not so shout out to him and then my favorite is the shrunken head inside of the cello of the uh Halloween Town trio it cracks me up every time when Jack is assigning things to the townspeople and he tells the trio to learn jingle bells and the shrunken head counts everybody in and goes in one and a two and a and it and it cracks me up every time so that's always the fun thing with these movies of just like he creates such interesting worlds and interesting characters that even if they don't have a proper name like they don't clown with the tearaway face is that character's name he even calls himself that in this is Halloween Town. He doesn't even bother to give them names. They just are what they are. But you love that because that's what you're going to refer to them as anyways. Like if you were, I bet you if the clown with the tearaway face had a name, you wouldn't remember what it is. You would remember him as clown with the tearaway face. So I don't know if that's just, you know, the writers and Tim Burton kind of inside the audience's brain already. Never really thought about that. One of my favorite songs in this movie, um, they all fucking bang. I mean, there's not a bad song in this movie. There isn't. I, the, if I had to pick the weakest, it would be the This Is Christmas or This Is Halloween. Like, or, or no, the it would be the What's This reprise at the end whenever they experience the snow in Halloween Town. That song's kind of whatever, I guess, but I mean... This is Halloween at the very beginning, opening up with a bang. Jack's lament when we actually get introduced to Jack. And it's, yeah, him complaining and being a sad boy. I love that song so much. 
I sing along to it every time. It's such a fun song to sing, and you get to be theatrical. And, like, I mean, this introduction to Jack, you really get everything about him. And it's just, it's a very fun performance. Um, The Town Meeting is a very fun song as well. Um, when Jack is hyping everyone else up about Halloween and they're like trying to wrap their heads around it. That's a really fun one. Making Christmas is fun because it's like that it's, it's supposed to be, cause you know how, like when you're doing things and like getting ready for Christmas, it's kind of like a, you know, you're being cheery and stuff and you're in a good mood and it's, it's upbeat and stuff. Well, this was them doing that, but it's still like in a minor key and creepy because they are fucking Halloween Town. That's what they do. So that's really fun as well. Then my last favorite song is Poor Jack, because like I said, really, it's Jack. It's a, it's Jack realizing what he did, with, or it's supposed to be Jack realizing what he did wrong, but it's really not. It's Jack literally saying, you know what? I tried. I did my thing. They didn't appreciate it. It's all good. I like my life. I'm going to go back to that. It's all good. I'm going to go save the day now. And I think that's hilarious because it's also just a, it's, it's a good song. And then they also did Nightmare Before Christmas Revisited, which was they had some musical artists do their versions. People like Marilyn Manson and Panic at the Disco and Fall Out Boy. Um, and, uh, Fiona Apple did a version of Sally song. Marilyn Manson did This Is Halloween. So did Panic at the Disco, but the Marilyn Manson one is way better. It's just funny because like, even with those covers of those and stuff, um, you know, and people all like, I think everyone knows the words to like, this is Halloween, you know, or everyone will sing along to this is Halloween at some point or something. It has the iconography, but people just rarely think about this movie as a horror musical. Or it's funny that I think a lot of people don't think about like animated movies in general, like musicals, because there's like, you know, Disney movies have a lot of songs in them, but I guess they're not always musicals. They usually do have a little bit more like regular dialogue in them. But just because this movie is so short and has so many songs, it's definitely qualifies as a horror musical. But that's enough for Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't really have any other hot takes or insights I can offer, but I feel like I came up with some new uh some new insights today, you know, with you guys. Like these weren't all in my notes. We figured this out together, and that's what this podcast is all about, baby. Before we get into corpse bread, just gotta make sure that uh, that I have to mention. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Ha, ha, ha. I didn't do it at the beginning, and you thought I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it right now. Guys, please go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Leave a few sweet words as well. Recommend the podcast to some other people. I just want more people to hear all this ghoulish good good. You know what I'm saying? So please, it takes like 15 seconds, and I would love you forever. Maybe I might let you keep your soul. Corpse Bride, released in 2005, 
co-directed by Tim Burton and Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson is a stop-motion specialist. So, the interesting thing here is... So, Tim Burton did co-direct this one. He did co-write it as well. But he also still recognized, like, hey, I don't really under... I'm not... I don't understand stop-motion as well as I think I do. So, I'm going to bring in somebody that can really handle that aspect. While Tim Burton handled the story elements, the character stuff, the tone, all that jazz. It was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. This was Tim Burton's first Oscar nomination in that category. Frank and Weenie would also go on to earn a Oscar nomination as well. So, here's my thing with this movie. I think this movie is, besides Big Fish, this is Tim Burton's like other most underappreciated film. And why I think that is, is because it was released in 2005. It was released the same year as Tim Burton's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They were filming those two movies at the same time, which was interesting. So you had Tim Burton doing two movies together. You have Johnny Depp doing two movies. He was playing Willy Wonka by daytime, and at nighttime he was Victor. So I guess that's how they were working on these two movies at the same time which is pretty wild, and then they released them in the same year as well. Except Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was released first in the summer, and people have a lot of feelings about Tim Burton's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was very polarizing, even though it actually got pretty good reviews and it did make money at the box off, but people were very split on it because it was very much... You know, I don't know what people wanted. It was very much Tim Burton doing his take on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He wasn't just remaking it scene for scene like he could have, but he did. But then he also put his Tim Burtonisms and expanded on Willy Wonka's story and things like that. You know what? I mean, if Tim Burton's aesthetic is not your thing, that's one thing. But it's like, I don't know. He he did what you should do with a remake, I think. But anyways... People felt ways about that movie, okay? And then, so I think people that didn't enjoy that movie didn't go and see Corpse Bride. Or, I mean, this movie, I mean, this movie still also made money at the box office. Both of them were successes. Like, I will say that. Like, this movie made $117 million on a $40 million budget, which also, fuck yeah, give people money for horror movies i guess tim burton is just one of those directors that can do that though like can say hey give me this much money and people are like okay i mean because his track record he, he fucking performs you know but i don't know i think just like it came out that year and then like people might have like seen it but then they had already like kind of forgotten about it or were caught up in remembering his willy wonka in the chocolate factory and it's just not a movie that people still talk about. And I find that really interesting. Um, um, I don't know. Like, I just don't see people talk about this movie even as, like, it gets compared to Nightmare Before Christmas, too, obviously. But it's just, I don't know. People don't seem to give it its due or it's not as memorable for other people, maybe. I don't know. I've seen this movie so many times. I've seen it multiple times that I would 
put it on whenever I go to sleep. It was just like kind of one of those movies because it was nice on the ears. It was, you know, restrained, but it also like it was like pleasant, but then it had good music as well. And then like I I love the aesthetic of it. It's a short movie, so it was like even if I put it on going to bed and then I decided I wanted to watch the whole movie, I could stay up, watch the whole movie, and then fall asleep afterwards, and it's like whatever, you know. Um and I've I've just seen it so many times. I absolutely love it so much. So what's interesting about Corpse Bride was it was it introduced um it was the first time they were doing stop motion digitally. They weren't doing it via film and it wasn't even out of, you know, choice. It was kind of out of necessity that they made the decision like a couple weeks before they actually started filming. And Henry Selleck, who he he came up with a method when he was working on Monkey Bone because they're trying to like, you know, be able to integrate the animated and live action stuff together. I don't know. So they did some digital stuff, and then, um, so they actually shot this film on a digital camera. They shot it on a Canon 1D, like, they shopped all these different, uh, DSLR cameras, and they settled on a Canon Mark 1D that they, uh, fitted with some adapters, so that way they could use some Nikon Prime lenses, and that's how they shot this film. So that was new. It gave it a different look. They also did a different approach with like the sets and puppetry. I mean, they still built out the real sets and everything, but um, with the puppetry, they instead of like having uh, like body puppets and then replacing the heads for the different facial expressions, that's what they had to do for Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, I think Jack had over 70 different head. Um, pieces for his different mouth movements and facial expressions. Um, but this one, they had these dolls that they could program mechanics into the head for the facial expressions. So he said like they would sh- do a shot and then they would take like a tiny screwdriver and like stick it in their ears to adjust like the facial expression and then do the next shot. So it made shooting a little bit easier and the digital was better because then they could shoot and see what they were shooting because when they were doing it on film, they would shoot what they had to shoot for the day and then they would look at it afterwards and then if they saw that they messed up or didn't get what they needed to do, they would just have to go in and fucking start over at that point and do it again the next day. Like, fuck. So this really expedited the process to where they could see what they were shooting in real time and I got to do that whenever I worked on the music video, like we were shooting, but he, we had it on a monitor and we could literally animate it as we were going. So I don't know if they shot in chronological order, but I'm assuming using this method, that's what they did. And it's just, uh, it's really fascinating. And I really, I really enjoy just like the very look of this. And they achieved certain looks with this because they actually applied visual effects to these shots as well. So it was this, I mean, for 2005, this was very, very different um, in terms of like the look and quality that they're going to do. They used a few visual effect shots just for coloring and a few like little details like that blue butterfly and stuff like that. 
but it comes together in this really cool, um, you know, there's two distinct looks between the film because you have um, the land of the living, which is very monochrome, like almost black and white with like a tinge of blue to it, but it's just very monochrome. Um, it's very dead feeling, very repressed feeling, and was that way on purpose. And then when you go to the land of the dead, everything is vibrant and colorful, and um, the saturation is dialed up, and it's just, you know, obviously in contrast, like the land of the dead is so lively. And it was, you know, very just spot on to kind of, you know, bring themes of the film into the movie. Quick refresher, if you have not seen Corpse Bride, you have Victor Van Dort, who comes from a nouveau riche family who um, of wealthy fish merchants, so basically new money, and then they're trying to set him up to marry the daughter of a old money family, except for this old money family, they're not rich anymore, so the Van Dorts think that they're moving up, you know, fucking keep on moving up in the classes and shit, and then the Everglots think that they are gonna be saved by Victor's family, I mean, and they are, they're, they're wealthy in their own right, but not to the degree that they thought that the Everglots were, so Victor is getting set up to marry Victoria, and they have not met each other, they're both very shy and awkward, and they're both very nervous because they're reflecting the fears that people have going into marriage. This is a very mature film, um, you know, dealing with themes of death and marriage, two themes that people really don't want to talk to their kids about. So I feel I found it, I've always found it very interesting how mature it is and putting it into an entertaining and accessible package for children to take it in. And maybe that's a reason that people don't talk about this as much because it's like, you know, when you watch this as a kid, you remember, you know, certain things. You remember the music. You remember the, you know, shenanigans of the land of the dead. You remember the corpse bride, obviously. But you don't remember the story and, like, the themes that they're dealing with in this movie. Very underrated. Like, really, really solid. And so, you know, they're encapsulating what they fear about getting married together. But then it's also talking about, like, you know, what it, you know, what what life is like if you're not completely happy and living it to its fullest, I guess. So that's when he's, like, you know, he meets a corpse and, you know, tries to convince himself that he loves her and is going to marry her just because he's actually met her and like, oh, look, this is all so much better than the land of the living. But then it's like him and Victoria, they actually, you know, find solace in each other. So I don't know, like, does it have a happy ending? Mm, kind of. Well, Emily learns. Emily, the titular corpse bride herself, played by Helena Bottom Carter, is she's fantastic she gets to sing in this movie which was like you know a uh, preview of what we would get from her in Sweeney Todd as well 
Straight up, though, there's a scene where she's looking for Victor, and she says, where are you, exactly the way that she does as Mrs. Lovett when she's searching for Toby in the in the furnace room at the end of Sweeney Todd. Like, it's exactly the same. Like, I wonder if they even, like, pulled that clip for Sweeney Todd or something, like, for the singing part. I don't know. It sounds exactly the same. Or it's just Helena Baum Carter saying things exactly the same in her in her voice. God, I love her so much. Like, she's even hot as a corpse, guys. You can't tell me that fucking Emily the corpse isn't hot. You know you were thinking it as a kid. You know you wanted those fucking corpse titties. <laughs> Again, ruining your childhood with this episode. <laughs> Guys, I told you, I love Helena Baum Carter. I told you, I love them translucent women, even if they are not breathing. She's fucking, and, and, and she fucking kills, she's got skills on the piano too. Shit, shut the fuck up. She can dance too, and all that shit. But anyways, um, and then, so, you know, Victor accidentally does his vows to her, but then, you know, she's, trying to break a spell because she was murdered and you find out that she was murdered by the guy that's trying to steal Victor's girl now in the land of the living because Victor disappeared so the Everglots are like well fuck it we're gonna marry her to someone else but uh the Vandorts are still looking for him you have Richard E. Grant in here playing Lord Barkus the villain of the movie so fucking good like he's a fucking he's a he's a, a, a murderer and he wants to murder some more and steal more girls and steal more money. He's a fucking reverse black widow. He's just a fucking, well, he's a white man. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> but he is actually, like, fucking scary as hell. But I did not realize it was Richard E. Grant playing this role. He's so fucking good. You also have fucking Emily Watson playing Victoria. You have Albert Feeney playing Finnis Everglot. And you also have Danny Elfman doing the voice of Bone Jangles, the fucking skeleton man that sings the story of the corpse bride of Emily in the slapper remains of the day. I think I might have to fucking do like a legit cover of this song. I don't know. Because man, remains of the day is so good. If you haven't watched this movie in a while, and you haven't heard this song, I recommend you watch this movie and listen to the whole thing, but this might be Danny Elfman's best song that he's written for a film, because I know he's in a band and he has some other songs, but as far as his movies, over anything in Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean, I love that movie and I love all those songs, but this song right here, this song right here though... Get it, boys. Hey! Give me a listen. You corpses of cheer. Beastles of you. We still got an ear. I'll tell you a story and make a skeleton cry of our own jubiliciously lovely corpse bride. You might try to hide, and you might try to pray, but we all end up the remains of the day. 
city known for miles around When a mysterious stranger came into town He was plenty good looking, but down on his cash And our poor little baby, she fell hot and fast When her daddy said no, she just couldn't cope So our lovers came up with a plan to elope Die, die, we all pass away slapper right there guys you don't know nothing about that um sorry if you listen to this on youtube because that's definitely gonna be cut out and flagged for uh copyright claims but um for you podcast people i wasn't expecting to treat you to the whole thing but i just couldn't stop what a fucking jam oh love this movie so much so what do i love about this movie let's go ahead and do a little quick genre grinder for this movie as well Pretty much the same breakdown as Nightmare Before Christmas, except we do have a few more additions. So we got the horror musical aspect. Again, I think this is a movie that people don't necessarily think about being a horror musical, but it definitely is, because not only does it have more songs than you remember, the first half has a lot more songs than the second half. They do kind of trail off with the music in the back half of the movie which is something I didn't really remember, but in the first half, I mean, there's quite a bit of music, but the opening song of the movie, um, according to plan, the exposition that it provides and the backstory between the two families and like 
what's going on with this arranged marriage is really great. Like I said, like this movie doesn't just have songs and music. It uses it for a purpose. It advances the story. It gives character backgrounds and it's just like, and this one's funny because it's like not even really saying like, it's definitely like more like a musical style. Like it's just like them kind of talking ish and you know, in a rhythmic way. And I absolutely love it. But, um, so you have the horror musical aspect. Um, it definitely has the gothic horror as it usually does with Tim Burton things. But what is really cool here is like, this is a true, like animated period piece. We don't really have that very much. Like the language isn't like they used like, you know, not only the Victorian setting, but Victorian language as well. They, and they didn't like modernize it either. Like they usually do for kids movies, like for kids movies, even if it's set in another time period, sometimes they'll still modernize, you know, the way that they speak to make it easier for kids. But again, Tim Burton doesn't, I mean, Tim Burton is obviously making movies for kids, but at the same time, like, he doesn't talk down to kids. Like, he he makes movies as if he's making them for everyone else, because he is. He's making movies that the entire family can watch, that adults can appreciate, like, because I appreciate it a lot more now as an adult, even, than I did whenever I watched it when I was younger. But, again, Tim Burton doesn't, like, talk down to kids, though, and, like, so it's, like, this is a true period piece. They use Victorian language and, you know, and the whole situation was going on. They don't really explain the classes to the kids. However, they are there and clear and distinct. And when you watch as an adult, you understand like the classism themes of the film as well. Again, like it's, you know, he's dealing with mature themes and putting it in a very entertaining package but not necessarily for kids, but for everybody. I don't know. I think this is a movie that's like really impressive in that aspect that people don't um, give Burton enough credit for because this is also made in 2005, like I said. There's some weird like misconception that like after up to Sleepy Hollow, like up to um, Sleepy Hollow, which came out in 2000, People always say that's, like, Burton's last good film. And I don't understand that at all. Like, because I don't agree. Like, because he made Big Fish after that. He made this. And then he would go on. He made Big Eyes. But then people are always like, he gets bogged down. He's gotten bogged down with remakes. I mean, yeah, he did the Alice in Wonderland. And then he just made Dumbo recently. But, I mean... And he did Miss Peregrine's Home for Extraordinary Children or for X-Men or I don't know, whatever. You know, Tim Burton's X-Men movie. So, I mean, but he's, he doesn't make bad movies. Like Alice in Wonderland, it might be boring, but at least it is still like gorgeous to look at. It's an achievement in effects. It was a fun 3D experience, which is why it's made so much money. But... I don't know. I don't know what this misconception is that, like, Tim Burton hasn't made good for a long time. Because Tim Burton is one of the most consistent filmmakers that there's been. And this is a movie that I'm like, when people say, like, oh, after the 2000s, like, Burton was only good in the 80s and 90s. I'm like, what about Corpse Ride? What about Big Fish? What about Frankenweenie? You know? What about Nine? People don't even remember Nine. 
I might have to talk about that at some point. We're going to cover all of Tim Burton's movies at some point or another on this podcast, I'd say. So, I don't know. I feel like you should, if you haven't seen this movie, you should definitely go give it a look back. It has some other great songs. Um, it has some great piano bops in this. I know everybody's into uh, on TikTok into Bella's theme, the the piano tune from Twilight, which goes hard. But so does Victor's theme and the fucking piano duet in this movie. Those both go hard. Where are the TikToks made for that one? Um, I like Johnny Depp's voice performance and Helena Bonham Carter, who voices Emily. And um, they both, they have this great chemistry together. Obviously, we would get to see that in live action with Sweeney Todd, which was great. But it was, um, it's kind of crazy because, like, Victor really doesn't sound like Johnny Depp. He really is doing a character and doing a voice. And I guess he had to do that to really separate what he was doing with Willy Wonka and then what he was doing with Victor in this movie. Because it really doesn't sound like him. And this was his first uh, voiceover performance as well. And he does really good because it, a lot of the time, doesn't really sound like Johnny Depp. Except at like a few points where he like screams a little bit. Um, But it's great voice performances all around. Again, this is a movie that has really great side characters. Um, Like, you know, when you get to the Land of the Dead... You have all these distinct characters, also in the land of the living as well, like um, uh, pastor. What's the pastor's name? Fucking uh, 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 Pastor Goswell's played by Christopher Lee. Forgot that that was him, but he has a very like distinct and like weird shape and look to him. Like that's what's funny. Even the people in the land of the living, they're all shaped really funny, and like they're fucking like, backs, and, like, they're, like, everything is so weird, but, um, Pastor Goswell's is a good one, and then in the Land of the Dead, I love Paul, the head waiter, which is, you know, punny and stupid, but I love it, also, he has a real gay boy voice, and wants to coordinate the catering for the wedding, I'm, I'm about it, fucking, he knows what he's good at, and what he can still do, so, shout out to, shout out to Paul, um, but Helena Baum Carter, obviously, is Emily, the titular corpse bride. Um, she, you know, she's very charismatic, you know, um, you, you feel really sad for her that she had this just, like, unfortunate shit happen to her, that some dickhead fucking kills her, and then, of course, it happens to be the same dude, fucking Lord Prickhead, and, you know, it's funny, they straight up let him kill himself. They they were going to let Victor kill himself at the end of this movie. Let that sink in. That's a little bit dark for this movie. Like, Victor convinces himself that he's in love with Emily. And he wants to be with her because he feels bad. So he's gonna he was going to kill himself to marry her. Because they can't be, you know, together if they're both, or if he's alive, and he was gonna kill himself, that's so funny, oh man, I never really thought about that, (laughs) is, is Tim Burton too mature for kids, 
No. Still no. That's what makes it the best for kids. Man, I never really thought about that. But back to Helena Bomb Carter. I love her. She's fantastic. Um, this movie, like I said, was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. Kudos to that. I wonder who they lost to, but I don't really feel like uh doing the research. There's also a lot of actual legit creepy scenes, like the scene in the forest, like with Victor, like putting the ring on the finger and bringing Emily like out of her grave and everything like that whole scene is pretty creepy and like the way she floats and like her face is all dark before she like eventually like is like you know kind of lightens up or whatever but speaking of that scene that is a folk tale that Tim Burton based this film off of it was a folk tale of a guy doing this same thing doing rehearsing his wedding vows in the woods sees a hand a stick sticking out of the ground that looks like a hand and jokingly puts it on and does the wedding vows and then a corpse arises and fucking you know a corpse bride so that's what tim burton based this film off of was this folk tale so i feel like i thought that was pretty cool as well i don't know um i really enjoy this movie and like i said i've seen it just many many times since I was younger, it was it's another like comfort film. This made for a, a very pleasant double feature. Like I said, I was just like in a very like good and relaxed mood afterwards, and I love how musicals can do that. You know, like these are two movies that I could recite almost line for line for you, like songs and all. I could do both these movies. That's how many times I've seen them, and. I don't know what that says about me, that this is what uh, comforts me, but it just, uh, it just works, you know? Tim Burton does not get enough credit in the horror musical conversation. I think that's what these two episodes are about, but I think that's all I got for these two movies, so we're gonna go ahead and shelve Tim Burton for the rest of the month, at least. Don't worry, he will come up again on future episodes of Blade Blunt Cinema Club. But that's enough for this month, though. You know, I am super excited to talk the rest of the movies that I have planned for September. I have a couple more guests coming up. But next week's episode is going to be a really special one. Because you guys get to meet my lovely lady. My girlfriend will be on the show next week. And it's going to be a very fun one. I have a very fun and interesting movie to show her. So, and I'm very excited for just like the rest of this month. So basically, we're going to do that next week. And then I have like a medley of horror musicals that we're going to talk after that. And then we are closing out the month with a good friend of mine, director Maggie Levin. She's going to be coming on the show to talk Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm also going to talk to her about the lore, which is a very, very weird and fun horror musical. So make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify Music, wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure that you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can listen to the podcast on YouTube as well. It'll just have, 
you know, a little visualizer thing. But I am going to start doing a little video highlights of the episodes as well. Um, of, you know, posting some clips and shit like that. So be on the lookout on the Bloody Blunts YouTube channel. Go there and subscribe as well. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Make sure you're following me on social media at underscore daddy disco for my personal accounts, at Bloody Blunt CC for the podcast, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week. We are watching Climax with my girlfriend, Brittany. Is it a horror musical or is it not? Tune in to find out. Until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>